This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Well, when I contemplated that I would be speaking to you the very first Sunday of 2018, this, uh, this text fairly leaped into my mind. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will take it to your hearts today. And for a basis uh, for our thoughts, we turn to 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. The admonition of Paul, great veteran, to his protege, to his son in the gospel, Timothy. This unique young man. Paul said in one place, there's not another like him, who kind of arose like a zephyr from out of nowhere. And uh, we read about him today and Paul's admonition to him, particularly this admonition, fan into flame, the gift of God. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, how he loved this young man. I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I'm now persuaded lives in you also. For this reason, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline or a good sound mind. My admonition to me To me and to you today, oh, I need this. Maybe I'm preaching this out of a sense of personal need as I face the challenges of 2018 to fan into flame the gift of God. Have you ever ever endeavored to rekindle a dying flame? Well, it's not as easy as you think. Sometimes after it's burned a while, it has a tendency to want to go out. And um, I've prodded and poked, added fuel, and sometimes all it wants to do is smoke. (laughs) Well, I had an experience like this just recently. Some of you know that my, my favorite hobby is trail riding by horseback. I'm going to let these guys go on foot. My doctor asked me a short time ago, do you have a regimen of, uh, of exercise? I said, well, I ride horses a lot. He said, yeah, and the horses is doing all the, 
the exercising. <laughs> but I love to go in the back country, just about as wild and woolly as they can get. And uh, I, too, love the woods and the mountains. I care not for the... I'm another one of those weirdos. Half hour on the beach, get me out of here. <laughs> but uh, I love the woods. And nothing is more relaxing to me than to build up a good bonfire. I don't need any other entertainment. I can just vegetate. I can just look at it. Don't need a lot of conversation. I'm just, I'm just enjoying it to the full. Well, in this last encounter incursion I made, it was about 20 degrees of a night. And uh, I'd build up that fire and sit around that fire, you know, just enjoying it and pondering and thinking. Hoping then, as I banked it up for the night, I knew it'd be extra cold in the morning. I hoped I'd ha I, I knew I would need a flame in the morning, and I would hope against hope that it would still be burning. But more times than not, it wasn't. And uh, I, would, uh, I would get new wood and put it on the fire and blow on it and get something to fan it. But more often than not, I just had to start all over. You know, go out and get some dry kindling and just build up a new, uh, a new head of steam. It, it's, it's difficult sometimes to keep a fire burning. And what is true out there in the woods is certainly true when it comes to my own heart. I want to tell you, dear friends, you may think it's, it's easy to just keep the sharp edge and to maintain the passion and to maintain the spiritual fervor. But I confess to you, it's one of the hardest things I do. Especially in this Laodicean age. This is the lukewarm age, isn't it? You don't have to do anything for a fire to go out. Just neglect it. Just, just be ambivalent about it. Just, just don't care. Just kind of get preoccupied with other stuff. And it'll go out. It sure will. But to maintain that fervency, to care about people, to care about the kingdom of God, to love Jesus with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, I want to tell you, that takes some doing on my part. And um, it's just not automatic. I made mention of the fact that this past year, uh, Wanda and I, and I say had the privilege of building a house out here in the country. And that was a legitimate exercise. I felt God wanted us to come here. And I feel very content in the will of God. But I'm going to make a confession to you. During the course of that uh, building, boy, that did a number on me spiritually. Not that I was sinning. No, no, not at all. Never even had a temptation that way. But I, I was spending a lot of my energy just looking out my RV window at, at 7 o'clock in the morning and said, where are those guys? Why, why are they not here yet? You know? and, uh, and then worrying about, whoa, it cost that much for that little piece of something? I was in perpetual sticker shock. Because it had been a while since I'd done such as that, and and I wasn't prepared for the for the increased prices. 
And, and, and then the, the burden, the pressure of all the sequencing. I want to I just admit to you, after a while, I, I began to worry and be concerned about my own soul. I was preoccupied, even with legitimate things. And I felt the spiritual order, the spiritual fervor, the spiritual focus somehow escaping me. And the few times that Pastor Joe would ask me to preach and fill the pulpit for him, I'd say, oh God, I don't know whether I'm ready for this. I don't know whether I'm qualified for this because I need, I need you. I dare not stand up there without the anointing of God on my heart. And I feel like, I feel like I need to fan into a flame the gift of God. Anybody else like that? You just feel like sometimes the spiritual fervor is gone. Well, there was a young man in this story today. His name was Timothy, who was an outstanding pastor. He was a young man that Paul admired and, and placed his hands on and thrust him out and <clears throat> gave him all kinds of authority. But Timothy's in trouble. Timothy is, is discouraged. His head is hanging low. He's cornered. He's cowed. His once spiritual fervor has been reduced to but embers. And Paul writes to him. I don't know how Paul discerns this. Paul is in prison. Paul is over there uh, in a, in a, so, down in a dungeon, how he discerns that Timothy is in trouble, I don't know. But he writes to him with the utmost urgency. And he says, Timothy, Timothy, my dear son, Timothy, fan into a flame the gift of God within you. Fan into a flame. And... Uh, I've wondered as I kind of read between the lines, what in the world was this necessary for? What, what had caused Timothy uh, to be discouraged? Well, I know this. He had been given a most difficult assignment. One for which he was not probably dispositionally suited. You see, uh, there are some people that like a scrap. They just like to be in a fuss. Have you ever met people like that? They just, even if it's a spiritual fight, they kind of like to be in it. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. If, 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 if there's not something going on, they'll start something. They just like a scrap. I, I, I. I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I think we got a president like that. I think, I think he, I think he. If there's not a scrap going on, he'll start one. <laughs> I don't understand that mentality. But uh, Timothy wasn't like that. Timothy was kind of an introspective, somewhat timid, maybe tender, sweet spirit, and uh, he he didn't like confrontation. He didn't like a, he didn't like a fight. And he had been sent to 
the church at Ephesus and then made as a kind of overseer, bishop if you will, of several churches in the Lycus Valley, one of them being the Laodicean church, which had an assortment of problems. But he had been sent, among other things, to withstand a, a, a certain heresy that was springing up within the churches, a heresy that was being perpetuated by some strong-willed, bull-headed lay people. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know any people like that? They're good people, but they were they were Hymenius and Philetus and Philetus and Alexandria. <sighs> they were making it hard on this young pastor, and they were taking full advantage of his youthfulness and of his disposition. And uh, as a result, well, it's getting too Timothy. It's even getting to him physically. Paul had to say to him, Timothy, you need to kind of change up your diet. You need to, you need to maybe alter what you're eating and drinking because it's obvious to me your stomach is just in ulcered and, and you're, this thing is getting to, it's just tearing you up. Don't you let your youthfulness and your apparent lack of experience cause you to think less of yourself than you ought to. God has uniquely fitted you for this task. All I'm saying is that there was a plethora, a whole covey, if you will, of pressures and burdens and problems that were weighting Timothy down to the point that his head is hanging low, that he's not as rambunctious and positive and, and on fire as he once had been. And Paul is writing to him, Timothy, Timothy, fan into a flame the gift of God. Don't let the fire go out, son. Have you ever felt that you needed that admonition? Well, I want to tell you I need it today. I need it right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I want you to set my heart aflame anew and afresh as I face this brand new year. Because it's not, it's not something necessarily evil or wicked or bad or sinful. You can be having problems at work. You can be having financial stresses. You just, the month runs out before your paycheck does. And uh, or you may be having domestic issues going on in the household. You just are not reading from the same page or off the same script. Or your kids, your grandkids can be just breaking your heart. And you just you're just so caught up in it. Uh, I want to tell you when one of my kids was going through divorce. Can I just tell you? I almost felt like I was going through a divorce as their parent. I just, I just thought, I, I, can't, I can't stand this. This, is, this was tearing me apart. So it's not that it has to be something sinful or wicked. It can just be the cares of life and, and, and making a living and rearing your family and dealing, Jim, with a bunch of kids flu 
<laughs> you know, stinking diapers, you know. It can just kind of get to you. And suddenly you, you discover, oh God, the edge is off the keenness of my soul. And Paul, sensing this in his young protege, writes to him. And uh, he uses various arguments or appeals, I might say, to somehow get Timothy's attention, to try to shake him into reality. Uh, And uh, the first argument he uses, the first appeal, if you will, was the appeal of special, sacred, divine investment. He says, Timothy... There are many people, I among them, who've literally poured our lives into you. We've made a costly investment, a costly deposit into your life. Timothy, don't squander that. Don't waste that costly, precious investment in your life. Fan into a flame the gift of God within you. That's a good argument. I don't need any other. And then he, he went on, we'll, we'll not be able to deal with this today for the lack of time. Uh, but uh, he uses the appeal of divine trust. He says, God has given you a gift. Fan into a flame the gift. Notice what he calls it, the gift of God. It isn't your gift, Timothy. This is God's gift. I wish everybody would listen to me right now. You have a gift. Every one of you, according to Scripture, at least have one gift. It's not yours. It's God's gift. And God's going to hold you accountable. It's a sacred trust. God has given you a job to do. People over whom you have influence in that little circle. Oh, yeah, friend. God's going to hold me accountable. And it's going to hold you accountable for how I use my gift. Well, Paul said, Timothy, you have a unique gift. God has especially bestowed that gift upon you. And then he uses the, the argument or the appeal of fear source. He says, Timothy, God has not given you this spirit of timidity, this spirit of cowardice, this, this whatever it is, this too, too much softness, too much tenderness. That isn't from God. And you need to face up to that. You need to do something about it. This is not from God. And then the final challenge was uh, the argument or the appeal of divine enablement. God has given you. He hasn't given you the spirit of timidity. But he has given you the spirit of uh, spiritual enablement. Divine love. And a good sound mind. God has given you all the tools you need to get the job done. Isn't it wonderful? God calls us, but God also enables us. But um, we'll just have to confine our thoughts today to that one, that argument. He says, Timothy, there are many people who have invested in your life, (laughs) who have poured themselves into you, who have prayed for you. And he lists himself as being the first in that number. He says, Timothy, I want to tell you, I count it all joy that day and night 
day and night I pray for you. Have you ever had anybody who has especially taken you on as a project to pray for you? Sometimes it's surprising to know and learn just who it is that's praying for you. I, uh, I had an experience that certainly encouraged me some time ago. I don't know how many of you have ever heard of the school back in Kentucky called Kentucky Mountain Bible Institute. Any of you ever heard of that? Well, it's a marvelous school and uh, trains uh, numbers of preachers and missionaries. It's been used of God across the years. I don't know how many times I've been to that school, either speaking for a baccalaureate or commencement or, or recording songs that they played on their, their radio station. I, dozens of times, I guess, I've been there. But I, uh, I went back just a few years ago to speak for their commencement. And, uh, and uh, I inquired uh, as to one of their founding, one of their founders, it was a lady by the name of Mrs. Archer. I said, what about Mrs. Archer? Is she still alive? And they said, oh, yeah. <laughs> She's over in the nursing home. She has bad diabetes. They've had to take off one leg. Well, I said, is, is she mentally? Is she, is she aware? And they said, oh, yeah, she's sharp, sharp as she's ever been. I said, would it be okay if I'd go see her? Oh, she'd love it. She'd love it. Well, now, mind you, I hadn't been on that campus. I probably hadn't been on that campus for 15 years, maybe, at that time. And I thought, well, she'll, she'll not even know who I am. So without any announcement, I went across the way to the nursing home, and they told me at the reception desk what her room number was. And so I went marching down the hall, looking at all the numbers, and finally I just marched into her room. And there she sat in a wheelchair. And she looked up, kind of startled, and her jaw dropped, and she said, Why, Richard Beckham, what are you doing here? And it was my turn for my jaw to drop. I said, Why, Miss Archer? I didn't suppose you'd even remember me. Well, she answered rather indignantly. I suppose I should. She said, I pray for you every day. I said, Miss Archer, what did you say? She said, I pray for you every day. I said, what do you mean? She said, come here, boy. <laughs> and she had... Some computer paper. Does anybody remember when it was tractor fed? It was, and it was all hooked together. It was like a big scroll. And on the second page, and there, here were names of missionary entities, uh, schools, evangelists, pastors. And on the second page, right up near the top, I saw the name Richard Beckham. And she said, Pastor Richard, I go around the world three times every day. I said, Miss Archer, what are you saying to me? She said, I never get out of this room, but I go around the world three times every day as I pray for these entities. And she said, your name is one of them. I want to tell you, I got out onto my knees in front of her. And I said, oh, Miss Archer, 
I'd rather hear that from you than to receive a check in my mailbox every day that somebody is investing in my ministry. If anything is ever accomplished by anything Richard Beckham has ever done, I want to tell you a lot of the credit is going to go to a little lady who's now in heaven who prayed for me every day. Have you ever, are you thinking of somebody now? Maybe you're thinking about our own pastor who burns the midnight oil to bring you the best messages any congregation of people could ever expect to hear, week in and week out. And I know he's got a list somewhere, if nowhere else, but in his mind. Sometimes he'll probably do like I used to do when I was pastoring. I knew where everybody sat. And I would start at the front, and I'd work my way down this section, and I'd pray for them by name. And then everybody in this section. Oh, my dear friends, we owe a lot to these men and women of God who are largely responsible for us being here today. Oh, I have some heroes of the faith, my own spiritual father. I mentioned his name in the morning service. A few, just a scattering of the people, knew of this old German pastor. His name was Otto Dieker. And I don't suppose anybody in this young group would ever have known him. But he was a man of God. He wore a beautiful gray, well, by the time I remember him really vibrantly, he had a beautiful gray beard. And when he would walk on the streets, everybody would say, Whoa, he reminds me of Jesus. And he did. It it wasn't that he was always sober, far from it. He would have the most healthy laugh and the twinkle in his eye. But I think the thing that made him so special to me is that he loved kids. He loved children. And my own father was saved under his ministry when my father was about 11 years old. And decades later, he was preaching a a camp meeting in Quincy, Illinois, and I was about 15 years old. And I don't know what he preached. I don't know, but I loved this man of God. He had so inspired me. He was my hero. And when he gave the altar call, brother, I want to tell you, I'd gone to the altar a lot of times before that. But this time, I don't know, maybe it was because I was a little bit older. I meant business. And I did business with God. And my life was changed. I owe that man so much. You see, he would come to our farm every summer for a bit of a sabbatical. And... um, He had a big black satchel and he would put that under his arm and every morning he would head off to the woods. Well, we had five boys in our household and we loved Brother Deeker. All of us loved him. And so like a bunch of ducks, we'd just follow in behind him. You know, he's going where he's going, we're going too. Never once, never once, never once, never once did I ever hear him say, now you boys go on back. Brother Deeker wants to be alone with God. No, 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 no. He would put his arm around us. <laughs> oh, blessed memories. And he'd get up in the woods somewhere and sit down on a log or sit down on a rock. And he knew how to capture our attention. 
he picked up about three little rocks and he began juggling them. <laughs> we country kids. Man, we thought that was the most amazing thing we'd ever seen in all our lives. We were just sitting there oogling. And, and then he'd get around to talking to us and, and telling us Bible stories. And he had a nickname for all of us. I'll never forget mine. Mine was Cotton Patch because my hair was so white. And Tom was uh, uh, Hayseed. And uh, Tim was Pine Knot. I don't know where he got that name. But he began talking to us about the Lord. And I'll never forget time and again, his eyes would well up with tears. And he would address us personally. And he would say to me, Cotton, Cotton, you're going to be my Jesus boy, aren't you? I believe it'd break old Brother Deaker's heart if you didn't serve the Lord. You will, won't you, son? Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I'm glad the day came when that uh-huh became an absolute, yes, Lord, I will. The last thing he ever said to me as I visited with him in a hospital room and hospital bed. This big strapping man now stricken with cancer. And he took hold of my hand as a teenage boy. And he looked into my eyes and he said, Richard, don't ever sing anything. Don't ever preach anything but Jesus Christ. And I made him a promise there as a teenage boy that that would be the course of my life. Some years ago, I had the privilege of going to Los Angeles, California, where they took his body. And I had the Rose Hill Cemetery, and I had to look and look and look and look and look. Finally, I found the headstone. Now, by this time, a big, big, big uh, fir tree had grown up over the gravesite. And I stood there looking at that plaque. And tears were coursing down my cheeks. Now a grown man pastoring my own church. And I talked to him out loud. I said, Brother Deeker, old Cotton is still trying to be faithful. He's still trying to preach the same gospel that you preached. Maybe you're thinking about somebody. Oh, maybe you are somebody that made a tremendous investment in your life. I'm thinking about the people. I look out here. Carrie, I think of your daddy. What a great man of God David Tucker was. First evangelist I ever called when I was in a pastor. And that man knew more scripture. Honest to goodness, he could just quote it by the yard. And I could remember as he preached, he would take the longest steps. He'd get so excited quoting scripture without ever having looked at the Bible. And I said, oh God, help me to be a man of God like that. I'm thinking about others. Maybe some of you, because of your long history in this church, thinking about a pastor who spent 20-some-odd years here in the pulpit before my coming, Sam Williams. Oh, some of you trace your lineage and your history back to that godly man. Or maybe some of you found your roots out there at Blue Ridge. and Brother James Coleman, my dear friend, who loved you right into the kingdom. Probably the most of you, it's Joe Trussell himself. You're here as a result of his influence on your life. 
whoever it is, whether it's an Otto Deaker or whether it's a Sam Williams or whether it's, we're all just understudies. We're under shepherds. I want to tell you that. We're, there's nothing special about us. We're just flesh and blood. But you can remember a Sunday school teacher, a special Sunday school teacher who took an interest in you when you were a bratty, snotty-nosed kid who caused nothing but trouble. You came to Sunday school just to give that Sunday school teacher fits. And when he was trying to teach the lesson, you had your back to him more than the front, and you were picking on the kid next to you to try to get something stirred up. And you wonder now, from this perspective, why did he even encourage me to come to his Sunday school class? And yet he would travel way out there in the country to pick you up every Sunday to make sure you were in Sunday school. Because he loved you. Because he prayed that God would somehow get to that freckle-faced kid and turn him around and make a God-man out of him. Or it may have been that precious grandma, the only one in your whole family that had any interest in God whatsoever. And for so many years you were a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. But you knew someone, and her name was Grandma, who was the real deal. And you said, if I ever get old-time religion, I want the kind she has. And her influence is bearing fruit today. My dear friends, what am I saying? I'm saying all of us are but the distillate. We're the product of the influences of godly men and women who have invested themselves into our lives. And Paul says, you know, I, I guess I have enough problems of my own being in prison. But he said, I, I take great joy in letting you know that I'm praying for you night and day, day and night. I think it's Adam Clark who said, this is a rarity. Most of us are content to pray for our four and no more, a little family. God bless our kids, bless our grandkids. But here is a man who's delighting in praying for another. Somebody, listen to me, somebody deeply and profoundly loves you, even besides God. Somebody, grandmother, pastor, Sunday school teacher, they want more than life itself. For you to come to know the Lord. And they've invested in you. And what Paul is saying. Don't squander that. Don't waste that. Don't, don't, don't just consider that, that a small thing. Fan into a flame. The gift of God within you. Amen. Well. He not only. Uh, talks about himself. But he said. I, 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 I remember. Your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, they were women of God. They were women of faith. And, and I, I believe that same faith is in you. But they blazed a trail before you. And as, as a parent, they whispered in your ear, probably when you were too young to even comprehend. God loves you, son. God has a special job for you to do. Even before you understood what they were meaning, 
They were singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. <laughs> you came to understand what that meant. I, I love what one of, of a generation past had to say, by a guy by the name of Went, William Bartlett, who was a great pastor over there in Britain. He said, a fine parentage is one of the greatest gifts a man can have. Let him thank God for it. And let him never bring dishonor to it. And then another said, It was at my mother's knee I gained my sweetest inspiration. It was she who taught me to see things and things within things, always pointing heavenward. And then he made a statement. When I wish to think of a Christian gentleman, I think of my father. I think of my father. Now you may not have had a father like that. You have a heavenly father like that. But I had a father like that. And I had a godly mother. I want to get on my knees if I, if I really did what I wanted to do. I'd get on my knees and I'd say, God, thank you for Ralph Beckham. He, 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 he wasn't a man who was renowned. His name would never be in the lights. He only had a sixth grade education. But he influenced more people everywhere I go in the country. People said, your daddy loved me. I was one of his boys. He would let me know he was praying for me. I mean, people who've really gone on to accomplish something. They said, your dad, your dad was almost like a second father to me. He, he didn't have much so far as education is concerned. But I, I tell people, he had a Ph.D. when it comes to knowing how to love people. He knew how to love a feller. And that's more important than anything. And a mother? <laughs> My mother wasn't, sure enough, wasn't one. But boy, did she ever have an impact on my life. You see, I, I, I was a scoundrel. Now, I told you, I, I got saved when I was 15. Good thing. My Aunt Lizzie, everybody ought to have an Aunt Lizzie. My Aunt Lizzie, she was a community gossip. She lived up at the end of our lane. She looked like a witch and she had a voice like a witch. She did. And I don't think she liked me very much. Be! My wife's name, my mother's name was Beatrice. Be! That dicky boy, he's headed for the penitentiary as sure as a bee to its hive. All he wants to do is fight. And I did. Oh, I love to fight. For wonder I didn't end up in the penitentiary. Boy, I had it in my heart to do bad stuff. But about the time I was headed out to do it, my mother would be in her private prayer closet, which was the living room, which incidentally none of us were welcome to go into unless company came. And she was in there having her private time of prayer, her private devotion, private, you know. And she had a high treble voice. And it went something like this. Oh, God! <laughs> private, you know. Oh, God! Please help my boys! Oh, God! Direct them in the godly paths! Help them to make the right decision! Oh, God! Especially Richard! Oh, God! Especially Richard! 
be starting out. I don't believe I'm going to do that. Many a time, seriously, stop dead in my tracks. Thank God for such parentage. Man, I have some big shoes to fill. I really do. I'll never fill them. But I pray, God, that that chain will not be broken in my generation. I tell my own kids, listen, guys, we're the recipients of a tremendous legacy. Grandma and Grandpa, Mom and Dad, your own dad and mom. Now it's your generation, your time. Don't break that chain. Pass it on down to your kids. Keep that heritage alive. Keep that legacy alive. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Fan the flame. Keep your own experience red hot for God. Well, I see my time is gone and I must close this message today. Paul is saying to a young man who is dispirited, who's discouraged, who's cowed, who's cornered because of a host of burdens and problems until his own spirit is kind of impoverished and dull. And Paul's sensing that something is amiss, writes to him, and he said, Oh, Timothy, for a variety of reasons, I want you to fan into a flame. Now, I, I leave you with this admonition today. Everybody just, just hear me out for about another minute. We've got the best pastor in the world. But our pastor can't do it by himself. This church has been the instrument God has used to impact numbers and numbers of lives. There have been those short periods of time when God has sent unusual revival. And people have just been coming in. They were coming in by the dozens, you might say. And then it plateaus. And I know during those times, Joe's heart gets burdened. He's talked to me about it. He said, oh, 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 I don't want to pastor a church that has just settled in to be ritualistic. A church that just goes through the motions. If we're not seeing people saved, then I'm restless. I'm discontent. I want God to do something new. You say, well, Joe, why don't you get it on? Well, because he's just one. And he can keep his own heart tuned up. But I'm a part of the church. And you're a part of the church. And you need to keep your own heart full, loving God, and on fire. You need to keep the sharp edge on your experience. And you need to, to, to sharpen your own experience until you're passionate about souls, until you can't rest, until you've personally invited somebody and brought them and influenced them toward God. And I'm just praying that in 2018, it'll be a special year. When God will set my heart on fire, faith hustle, that God will set my heart on fire 
and that I'll not allow even the legitimate things of life to divert my attention and my focus. That I'll understand that the kingdom of God is the only thing that will last and the only thing that will matter. And that I'll day in and day out say, God, stoke the fire. Put some good new logs on the fire. Stir it up. Fan into a flame. And keep the blaze burning in my own heart. If that happens in yours, in yours, people come to watch a fire burn. But let's not squander this glorious opportunity that he's given us right here in 2018. Amen? Stand up to your feet. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.